Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. All right, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation. I'm Nathan Oblak, and I'm joined again here in the Knox Cellar by Dr. Joe Boot and Ryan Aris, and we're especially glad to be with you all today as all three of us, uh, regrettably, have come down with a terrible case of climate change. <laughs> I thought it was only Ryan. <laughs> I got the black yeah. lung. <laughs> Joe, you're just saying that because you don't want to admit to spreading it all over the Institute. It may have been spread by me. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's tough. This this climate change illness, it uh, has a way of getting around all over the place. That's it's right, probably because yeah. you drive a pickup truck. <laughs> you could be right. How's your condition been coming along, Joe? Oh, I've been fine. Although I was, um, I, I, I briefly was, was, uh, was feeling better when I read last week that um, uh, in the Arctic... Uh, they've uh, uh, some a whole group of ships were stuck two weeks early in the uh, ice because the uh, the ocean froze over two two weeks before what would be seasonal, and uh, the Arctic uh, measured its coldest six months on record. So, um, you know, I feel like I might be feeling a bit better. Oh. It's just I'm, I'm cooling down. The fever we is leaving. Decolonized the Arctic. <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> So no more fevered visions of Greta. No, but I'm, but but I say, Ryan is struggling with it now. So he's been off for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Is it climate change, Ryan, or uh... it's uh, it's a known illness uh, like climate change <laughs> related to climate change? <laughs> not a formal diagnosis. Climate related, not a formal diagnosis. <laughs> you need to go and see that doctor in BC. They'll, oh, you're right. Help you out. Yeah. Does your condition sound like an evil Transformer villain by any chance? Uh, <laughs> Theta Omicron. <laughs> These, there you take me into deep waters. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it's yeah. Star Trek Nemesis where there's Omicron Theta radiation or something of that nature, yeah. <laughs> which I couldn't help thinking of last week. No, they uh, they forget that uh, we we know all the Greek letters already uh, from uh, <laughs> thanks to Star Trek. From Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> they've got the Omicron. We've got the Alpha and Omega. Yeah. That's the main thing. That's right. Amen. That yeah. was a haiku, yeah. Nathan. That's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week we uh, we recorded a question and answer episode, and I think we got through at least one question, didn't we? At- I think two anyway. Maybe two, yeah. So <laughs> that's Joe's style. Yeah, <laughs> got to be thorough. Anyway. That's right. Yeah. And uh, this week we're happy to be back to our our conversation on reformational philosophy, and uh, we've stepped away from it uh, for some time with uh, special guests coming through the studio, and then a question and answer episode. But we're happy to uh, get back to this discussion, and for today, uh, we're again looking at some of the teaching of Herman Doiverd. We've mentioned him on the program many a times, and specifically, we're going to look at uh, something that was developed by Doiverd, quite quite a a technical term, uh, but it's religious ground motives, and uh, I wonder before we even get into the various uh, different ground motives that he lays out for us, Joe, if you could just tell us how this 
term, this, this way of thinking was developed by Doivert. Mm -hmm. Well, it's probably helpful this juncture to, as you've mentioned, because we've had a couple of weeks where we've been doing something a bit different, um, to recap and just remind our listeners a little bit uh, about where we've been on this. One of the important things we talked about early on was the reformational view of the heart as the, the, the sort of focal point, the uh, center uh, of the human person, which was really lying at the heart of um, Doyeverd's development of reformational philosophy, what he would call his, his discovery of the biblical idea of the heart through actually reading Kuiper's meditations on the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, and recognizing that y you couldn't find the root of human uh, thought and human life in one of the functions, and we talked about those um, aspectual functions, those 15 aspects or modal aspects, you couldn't find the root of human life there, but that the root of human life was uh, transcendent uh, in the heart. It transcended those basic human functions. And so... What the uh, uh, where what we need to be reminded of today, first of all, is to is the scriptural principle that from the heart spring the issues of life. It's out of the heart that uh, all of these um, the the what Jesus talked about, you know, murders, adulteries, all these different things spring from the heart of the person, and um, as a person thinks in his heart, so he is. So there is a special and unique teaching in the Bible about the human heart as the focal point, the center of all the functions of human life. And um, I think we may have given the illustration of the way in which uh, a magnifying glass will capture all those rays of the sun into a, into a focal point. Um, and uh, you could take the picture of a prism too, which, you know, light refracts into a multiplicity of white light is refracted into a multiplicity of colors. There's a diversity there. Um, but the root of this diversity of our human experience is in our is in our hearts. So the reason that was important to Doiverd and is important to this subject is that uh, related to that was then also his idea of um, of a starting point for philosophy. What what is the what is the what is the ultimate starting point? And uh, he talked about um, uh, this in terms of an Archimedean point. Um, and some people will remember that Archimedes was this ancient fellow with levers who, uh, who claimed that, you know, given the right uh, levers and the right place to stand, he could lift the earth off its foundation. Um, and um, perhaps the, the, the picture of a, uh, somebody on a barge, a farmer on his barge going down a canal... Um, there are some canals here in on, Ontario. They're very common in England, but uh, for the listener, you know, a canal would be a, a man-made waterway uh, for you know transporting goods. And um, oftentimes, before um, there was uh, powered motors, the way you got along was on a barge with a long pole, and you would, of course, put your pole against the bank of the canal. Uh, to to move yourself along in your in your little boat or your barge, um, and the picture we have here in the question of a starting point is: is the starting point for human thinking 
to be found inside the barge? Uh, or is it to be found outside of the barge? So imagine the hopeless condition of the of the farmer trying to transport his uh, his hay bales on his barge along the canal, not by putting his the pole on the canal bank to push yourself along, but trying to push yourself along by putting the bar the pole on the bottom of your own barge. Mm. And this is the the the, the fundamental distinction between. Uh, what Doyverd would say is the, uh, the the Western tradition in seeking a uh, an Archimedean point, a starting point for human thinking, would be that you're placing it in thought itself, in the bottom of your own barge, rather than outside of it on the bank, on a, a transcendent starting point. So how is that related to this whole discussion of the heart? Well, the Western philosophers... Um, really looked at human reason or saw human reason, especially then if you look at Descartes. Uh, I think, therefore, I am, uh, as a starting point, is he's trying to find the, the most secure place to start, his, his, his Archimedean point in thoughts, thought itself. Whereas Doivet said, no, this is, this is wrong. This, this uh, would mean that um, human thought itself would be would lose contact with all the other aspects of life. What would possibly be the relationship between the rational function that we have as we think and all the non-rational elements of life? There must be a deeper coherence. What is the origin of the deeper coherence of all of this diversity? Um, and so he said, we can't find the starting point for human thinking in the analytical aspect, the analytical function of human life, it must be found in the inus, the heart itself, um, which transcends or goes beyond all of these uh, functions. So you can see it in, Doiv in um, uh, Descartes' mistake when he says, I think, therefore I am, and says, so thought is the starting point. Mm. But he doesn't ask the question, who is I? Mm. Who is the integral I? What is the self, the, the inus, that is doing the thinking? that transcends thought itself um, as one of our human functions. So it's a, it's a dismissal of fallen reason then, isn't it? Right from the outset. Precisely. Right. So, so Doiverd says you cannot uh, ground uh, thought as it, as of course, what the Western tradition, he says, did this uncritically. It never asked the question. Uh, I didn't really ask the question about um, whether there was a deeper root, a deeper coherence for um, human rational engagement with creation, he says they just assumed that reason is can account for itself, is self-sufficient, uh, doesn't need any deeper grounding. Um, and so the, 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 the thinking ego uh, becomes the ground of all knowledge and becomes the, 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 the Archimedean point. So this is where Doiverd says, no, this is a, this is a mistake. Um, the the root is the heart of man. Uh, that's the foundation of all of these. Remember, we looked early in this series at these these fifteen aspects. We talk about the um, arithmetical, the the, uh, the spatial, the kinematic, the the physical, and then we talked about the biotic and the sensitive and the logical and these various different aspects. Um, you can't find the the that point that place to stand that archimedean point in any of those functions right. 
the, the transcendent starting point is the heart, and critically for Doivert, the heart that is finds its creaturely root in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the foundation um, of uh, the human race. Uh, that that as the um, both of course as creator and redeemer in his incarnation, but that at, at root, especially as for us as Christians, that heart is regenerated, it's renewed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Doivert makes this radical Christian claim, which so offended <laughs> not just the, the, the secular humanistic right. thinkers, but the, actually the Thomistic mm-hmm. um, mm. uh, synthesis thinkers who wanted to, to keep reason in this special place as a sort of neutral instrument. Doivert says, no, there is no neutral starting point. Um, there's a the, the transcendent root of human thought is the heart, and there is then a choice made about the arche or the origin. There is a religious choice made by the by the self about the origin of all things. So, can I just uh, interject there, Joe? I I'm wondering for people that hold to a Thomistic view, why would they object to that? Why would they object to Christians and pagans having a different starting point for philosophical thought. Well, that probably gets us uh, deeper and further down the track. And and um, we've said before that uh, we're, we're going to tackle Thomism specifically in a, in a dedicated episode. But let me just say that in response to that, that I think there's a there's an immediate sense that somehow man's reasoning in the independence of his reasoning the autonomy of his reasoning is threatened. Mm. Uh, and we find that offensive. Um, and, and the notion that there might be this antithesis drawn through, through th- th- right down the center of all of reality um, in terms of the direction of the heart, so that whether you're thinking about law or education or the, you know, the, the, mm. the, 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 the physical sciences mm. or politics, or any given area of life, suddenly this would mean that uh, this this antithetical distinction, um, this this rootedness of a heart that's either turned towards God or idols, that that affects absolutely everything, because it's right at the root. It's radical. It's right at the root, the radix, the very center of human existence, and that n- therefore no area of human thought, no no human activity can ever be seen as neutral. For a variety of reasons, that's deemed a threat. It feels threatening. Um, and partly because, of course, we're all conscious of the fact that as fallen human beings, we're not as Christ-centered and as submitted to the to the fullness of the word of God and the structure uh, of God's word for all of life as we need to be and should be. And, um, and you know, in our, our natural man finds that offensive. Mm. So I think that's uh, that's critical. And now this is related to uh, the reason I wanted to reiterate and go over that again, uh, because A, it's hard. It, it, it's hard for people to get it into their thinking. That it bears repeating. It bears repeating, exactly. The, the, the root of our existence is not our analytical thought. We, this is why we don't privilege either theology, theoretical theology, or the philosophy, because um, at the root of our lives, where we tackle ev- anything and everything, is the heart of man and our re- religious relationship to God. 
And that's where Doivred said, this is the foundation, this is the root, and the reason that Western philosophy has been uncritical, insufficiently self-critical, is that it's not recognized this. So there's the issue of the Archimedean point, which for Doivred and the Reformational tradition is the heart of man. Then, then there's the choice of the, the root, the origin, the arche, that is, is it God or idols? Now, you can see that those two are related because if you want to find the, the, the Archimedean point, the, the root of knowledge and, and understanding as in one of the humans, one of, our, one of our functions, like our reasoning, the tendency is then to try and find the origin in reason as well. Mm. We separate those two. We say, no, the origin is absolutely in God. Uh, uh, the Archimedean point for understanding is the heart in our religious relationship to God. When you come to somebody like Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, you basically find the origin and the Archimedean point for knowledge coinciding in man's reason, that basically man makes his own universe. He makes mm -hmm. his own world by the structure of his own thought. The categories of his own thought determine and shape uh, reality. And we can't know what... Um, the things are in themselves we can only know what they are as structured by our own consciousness so right. the danger of getting the starting point wrong the reason we harp on about this almost to the point of you know ad nauseum maybe is that if we get this starting point wrong fail to recognize the root of human thought we end up making serious mistakes further down the line so uh Doiver then connected this the the issue of the the heart to ground motives which is where you wanted to to get to, um, and to uh, the way in which then um, this these these ground motives shape the theoretical structure of what thick human thinkers do. In other words, this, these 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 um, religious ideas uh, that are rooted in man's heart in either obedience or apostasy against God right. then shape all of his theoretical activities. And so. That, that really brings us to right to that question. Yeah. Well, and Doiverd, and you're going to get into this, Joe, but he identified four different religious motives, and you mentioned some apostate, some biblical, but he laid out three different uh, apostate forms of a religious ground motive. And mm -hmm. I wonder if you could walk us through those. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's start by saying that... Um, the the terminology ground motive is not really that important right um in the sense that i mean i like using <laughs> i like using it but uh it it it's not important that people adopt this sort of um theoretical technical terminology let's make it important um well you know <laughs> i mean you got to call it something right <laughs> you, you got to call it something i mean i guess where i'm going with that is that we could say that when Doivert spoke of religious ground motives, these sort of this this sort of religious ethos of the heart, we're talking about the, the foundations of worldviews. Right. So we're talking about the beginnings of what we might call religious worldviews. Mm -hmm. That then the foundations of religious worldviews are in these motives. And what he meant by them, which is I think really important, is they they are a driving force. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like um, the the spirit of the age. Uh, I was trying to think of the German expression for that, but it's 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 gone. Um, the the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Thank yeah. you. 
the the spirit of the age. He's, he's good for something. He's, he's suffering with climate for, change, yeah. but uh, he's, <laughs> he's still compass mentis enough to remember the German verit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Thank just you. over here for you with my thesaurus. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Mug uh, of tea. <laughs> what what we're talking about with these motives then is um is 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 the zeitgeist. It's a kind of a, it's a nice word. It, it, it's the spirit of the age, and the reason that's important is it's not necessarily something that people sit down at their kitchen table and they go right as we're discussing this. What is the ground motive foundation of worldview that is shaping how I'm thinking about COVID right. or climate? Or, we, we might do that during our lunch breaks <laughs> around here. Mm. It happens. Um, or, uh, uh, or, or, or law or politics or whatever it might be. The, 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 the ground motive is something that is almost uh, and, can, and can frequently is for many people unconscious. It's mm. informing them. It's shaping them without them even knowing it. And, and when we talk about uh, the modern... Um, motive that uh, Doyle had identified we'll see that most clearly because we can we're most in touch with it historically so when we talk about these motives we're talking about the foundations of world and life views and we're talking about um a sort of spiritual ethos that so shapes and informs an age it's like the atmosphere people are breathing and uh you might think of the 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 think about the the power and the spirit of the enlightenment as part of the 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 modern humanistic ground motive mm-hmm. that we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. it, it was something that was almost unquestioned. And th- this is why this work that uh, the reformational thought does is often so sort of unsettling for people, uh, is that it shakes us uh, into a kind of self-consciousness. Um, uh, Van Til would have talked about a, a, an epistemological mm-hmm. self-consciousness. We become increasingly self-conscious of what is informing and shaping our thinking, and it exposes um, uh, religious presuppositions that are posing as sort of theoretical axioms, but they are in fact religious ideas that are pretending to some sort of independent, rational autonomy, uh, neutral uh, presuppositions when in fact they are deep deep religious motives. So it's really important to say that. So... um, the, the first one, and, and let's uh, just be clear that what Doyavod was doing here was, was, was suggesting a, a sort of template for um, the, the trajectory of Western thought. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's important for us as, you know, we're Westerners. We belong to the Anglo-American uh, tradition. Here we are in Canada. We, uh, we've been educated... Um, at the sort of uh, the tail end of the the late modern um, era, uh, and you know we one of the reasons why you know we're advocates of a, of a sort of a classical Christian approach is that it's important that you understand where your own right. culture is situated historically, and so what Doiverd was doing was trying to say that he detected, and, and let's remind our listeners too, this isn't the Bible. This is um, this is a this is a Christian thinker seeking to be submitted to Scripture and trying to identify uh, these motives that have shaped the Western tradition. And the first one he identifies is what he calls the the form matter motive 
of Western thought, the form matter motive of Western thought. Which would be Greek in origin. Which yeah. is exactly that. It's it's mm. Greek in origin. Aristotelian, yeah. Platonic, Aristotelian, Socratic. Yeah. It goes all the way back mm -hmm. right to the pre-Socratics uh, thinkers. And um, it, it essentially, and obviously we're just, we've, you know, we've got to simplify for this program. We want to make this tolerable for um, people in their car on the way home from work and uh, perhaps do it making dinner right now or, or washing up or whatever. And they don't have to sort of uh, skip back too many times. Um, basically, the, the ancient Greeks and the classical Greek period, Doiverd would say, was shaped by this form matter motive. What do you mean by that? Well, um, the form and matter were like two um, co-extensive, co-eternal principles. And matter here, uh, try not to think of sort of the different, you know, stone and gold and plants and animals and so forth, to think of a generalized idea of, of matter. Um, uh, uh, a uh, Something that... Um, uh, everything has in common. Um, and uh, this was this sort of amorphous idea that, w that the Greeks had of matter as an uncreated substance. And uh, the, 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 the pre-Socratic thinkers, the, the early religion of Greece, uh, which was very similar actually to, to some of the religions of the East, but there, there, there was basically a stream of life, a stream of life, that was going in endless cycles. So things came into being, they fade, they go out of existence, they come back into being again. So you have this cyclical pagan view mm -hmm. of this stream of life. And, 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 uh, and it was subject to fate uh, and uh, things appear and they disappear and they recur. And so this this basic idea of uh, uh, of this stream of life was what Doiverd identified as the matter motive. You've got this 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 substance. Uh, it takes shape. It, it 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 dies away in terms of fate, and it recurs. Um, and so, uh, in this sort of religious perspective, um, you. Really, we're talking about, we've seen this idea actually have a major revival in our own time, yeah. right? It's the, you know, there's a life force coursing through all of reality, right? There's a life energy, mm -hmm. uh, and that is the root of everything. And you know how popular reincarnation has become again in our Western yeah. culture, mm -hmm. and this whole idea of cycles and, 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 and repeat, things repeating themselves. This was the matter motive, and this sort of animistic... Um, nature, religion, Mother Earth, right? The Gaia religion of our modern culture would be the best way to think about it in terms of modern conceptions. Um, and that was at one pole of Greek thought. A bit later on... Uh, so it was very, very Eastern. Very uh, Eastern, yeah. mm. very much so. Yeah, yeah very Eastern. Mm. And then uh, at the same time, they then developed in Greece, uh, and developed later, uh, and... Uh, rooted in the sort of gods of Olympus um, and the idea of, of, of reason and form and ideals and ideas that were lasting uh, was the form uh, motive. So hence for matter, form, form, matter. 
And it, the question that the philosophers had raised was, okay, in this endless stream of things um, uh, passing in and out of temporal um, being, um, what gave uh, th- them their identity? What, what gives anything its sense of continuity? Uh, what you know, differentiates the tree from the rabbit, from the human being? Um, uh, what, uh, where do the principles of things like justice and, and, and morality and the beautiful and the good, as the ancients would have talked about, come from? And that's where they talked about forms. And in a sense, the gods represented these, um, these forms. And like matter, um, these forms are eternal. Um, they are, uh, they're not, or at least I should say they're uncreated, uh, forms. Um, and, uh, this is where we get the, the beginnings of the idea of divine reason and participation in, and that things somehow participate in divine reason. And that's what gives them their form. And so very quickly, Plato, you have, um, uh, his idea of the of the of the forms of the ideal forms of everything that you see mm-hmm. in the real world and what we see in the temporal world are copies yeah, right. um, at an ever increasing distance from the original are copies of the form so the the, tr- the forms are reflected in uh, what we call temporal creation right. and then in Aristotle uh, this becomes the forms are not so much in an abstract other esoteric world but they are manifest in the things themselves so form and matter somehow they're distinct but they coincide in the uh, the things that we experience in in creation itself so we might say that plato stumbled on a kind of law for creation and aristotle stumbled on the lawful response the lawfulness of created reality mm. uh, that, that things respond lawfully so he was looking for the forms within the things themselves so you had the more ancient religion of of mother nature and the stream of life and then you had this more olympian cultural religion of greece of the gods of ideas of forms and philosophy and in a sense you had then this kind of secularization process within greek thought and I guess what Doiverd was trying to say is that this was so ubiquitous, this, it was so everywhere, this form-matter idea of these opposing poles, uh, you know, and this is what we mean by a dialectic, is that you have these sort of irreconcilable ideas that sort of sit with each other, but you can't really, you only end up emphasizing one or the other. Mm. You can't fully reconcile them. So you've got uncreated form, uncreated matter, and somehow uh, these ideas of a of a chaotic, endless stream over against permanent, you know, lasting forms has got to be. They can't be fully reconciled. So you just you move from one pole to the other in terms of emphasis in the different schools of Greek thought. So Doivert said that was the sort of foundation, if you will, of the of the Western thought tradition. Um, or at least one of them was one of the foundations of the Western thought tradition, the form matter motive. So the, the, the Greeks there, they're wrestling with the eternal, with something transcendent, but yes. they're not rooting it in the creator God of scripture. Correct. Yeah. So that's one of the apostate 
uh, religious motives. And we've talked about the next many times on the program, but this scholastic nature grace mm-hmm. uh, motive. Can you can you tell us a bit about that? Probably to understand the nature grace um, motive that he talked about, it'd be easier to talk first about the biblical ground motive in contrast to the Greek one. Um, uh, so maybe we, we go there next. Um, because... The, this is where it's easiest to see the radical difference mm. Uh, mm. At, the, at the root. Mm. So the, the scriptural ground motive, of course, is there in the, in, in the Bible. It's there amongst the Hebrews, amongst the Jews. And it comes to full flowering, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the, the deepening of our understanding of creation, of redemption um, in the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom. And so Doivert said that the Christian motive, that, that right back there in the first century, of course, uh, and that's why, remember, Paul is there in the Areopagus. Think about this. You know, he's, he's talking to the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, mm. and they've got these, uh, in, in different combinations, this form-matter structure uh, has been occupying their thinking. Um, and he sees their the temple with all their various gods, and they've even got an unknown god there. And th- this is the this is that principle of form of of of, uh, of these of these structures that must be there. Um, and into that is preached a radically different message of creation, of of creation from nothing, which brings about the repost of the the. The philosophers, you know, from nothing comes nothing, right? Uh, which is why they have to posit this eternal notion of, of creation, which, by the mm. way, is coming back into vogue as the Big Bang is coming under increasing threat as the mm. dominant narrative yeah. that there was something actually prior to the Big Bang, some sort of steady state. Anyway, that's mm. another subject. But uh, in terms of the, this, um, this distinction, you have this radically different the greeks had no conception of a of a creation of a creator creature distinction of an absolute creator creature distinction in which the temporal world as we experience it is called into existence matter that the 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 structure of everything uh, from nothing and so here you have an eternal God who's totally distinct from creation calling everything else into being. And that gives us the radical unity of all of creation. So Doiver talks about the creation, fall, redemption uh, motive in, and the, in the consummating power of the Holy Spirit. Creation, fall, redemption in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Christian message. Now, critically, uh, uh, he's keen to point out that this is not a the the, the thought product of um, a theologians. Like creation, fall, redemption is the way in which the Word of God speaks directly to our hearts. You know, before anybody knows any theology, mm-hmm. and they hear uh, the preaching of Christ, the Holy Spirit communicates to us that we're creatures of God, we've fallen into sin, and we need redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's on that basis that all theology uh, is actually, all true theology is actually built. 
So it's not a theological construct. It's the foundation of theology. It's the basic religious motive communicated directly by God through the Holy Spirit to the heart of the human person when we're brought into to, to fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, that we're his creatures, that we need to be rede- redeemed from sin. Um, so creation, fall, redemption in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, some have said it's, e- it's almost easier to say the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God needs fleshing out, the rule and reign of God, and that starts with this doctrine of creation. You can immediately see how this was re- bizarre to the Greeks, because for the Greeks there was no creation. There were endless eternal cycles. Um, and, and there were these two, du- there was a truly dualistic principle, two opposing, and this is really important, du- a dualistic principle, opposing principles of form and matter. Mm-hmm. The Christian religion says, no, there's no dualism. There's no opposing, pr- there's no principle over against God. Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. The Greek thought of, of the created order, the, what we call the created order, as a craftsman working on material. The craftsman's already there, the forms, and the pre-existing material is already there. Just like you and I would work on, you know, making this table. Mm-hmm. The Christian view is no, <laughs> uh, there is only the eternal God who by his powerful word calls all things into existence out of nothing. And it's his law for creation that sustains and gives structure uh, and relates creation is meaning mm-hmm. as such. Mm-hmm. It is meaning because it's related directly back to the origin, to the arche, to God Himself. Mm. Um, I don't give it a meaning. I don't lend it a meaning. I don't impose a meaning upon it. Creation is meaning by right. virtue of its creation from nothing mm. by God, uh, who governs all things right. and created all things. Now, that is so radical a break yeah. from Greek thought mm-hmm. that you can understand why um, people, uh, as we, um, and we need to talk a bit more about this biblical ground motive, but uh, you can understand why it was difficult for the early Christians to immediately be able to work out philosophically, whether it's Augustine or um uh, Ambrose or later Christian thinkers, even Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. um, in the Middle Ages, why it was difficult for them to shake fully free from the power of the Greek idea shaping Western culture. Right. So is it simply the, the unique nature of, of Christianity, the creator-creature distinction that uh, that leads to this being the only religious motive free of this conflicting dialectic. Yes. Okay. And uh, it's one of the reasons why when we come in a moment to talk about the nature-grace motive, that uh, uh, there's an ambivalence there in those thinkers as to um, form and matter and as to whether or not God was working with pre-existing materials. Um, even in Aquinas, it's difficult to, mm. to, to see whether he actually um, believed in a creation from nothing um, uh, because they're, they're dealing with a, an attempt to synthesize these views. So um, when we think about, uh, this is where we come back to the principle of structure and direction because in creation, the reason it's radical and the reason 
and people will see by the end of this episode in the next you know 15 minutes why uh this is uh this is so so critical so vital um is that this is why we believe that all of creation mm. uh is being redeemed by the lord jesus christ and we have an obligation and a responsibility uh for it um our, the the fall into sin meant that uh, uh, apostate religious desires religious motives an opposition to god mm -hmm. sets in so we're created in right. god's image that is we're persons we're not things mm. so as distinct from every other aspect of all of creation mm. um outside of the angels we are persons not things and uh um, we're and and uniquely we are made in in the image of god to have dominion um in creation and with the fall, so you've got creation and then the creation mandate implicit within this motive. With the fall, you get the possibility of apostasy. And so the fall does not transform the structures of creation, which is to say God doesn't change his mind about gravity uh, or his norm for justice or what the family should be. Um, the, what changes is the heart of man and the, and the direction in which he moves in all these various structures and functions so the structures abide god's purpose for creation abides but the um the direction in which we move in uh creation is now affected by the fall mm. redemption is the fact that christ now as the as the last adam uh redeems us and restores us to our right worship right fellowship with god which means we are now oriented in principle to the glory of God, to the service of God, to the worship of God in every single aspect of life in all of creation, as as uh, uh, vicegerents, as um, partners in the reconciliation of of all things to God, co-laborers, I should say, uh, as uh, as junior co-laborers in the reconciliation of all things to God. Mm. And that's why consummation is in the power of the Holy Spirit, that it's the Holy Spirit's power in our lives who regenerates the heart and gives us the power of the gifts necessary to fulfill the task of subduing all things in terms of God's will and purpose. Mm. And that reaches, of course, its final consummation only when Christ returns in the fullness of the kingdom. So think of that. You've got this form matter religious motive mm -hmm. in there and it's operative still in the first century. And then the gospel of the kingdom is suddenly preached into that. Mm -hmm. And it's a radical difference, mm -hmm. which brings us mm -hmm. to our third motive. Well, just uh, real quickly on... Uh, <laughs> Hold up. As, as, as to supplement that, uh, just to return to the, uh, the history of philosophy that you started with, with mm -hmm. Descartes... Uh, to, to contrast this uh, with uh, Rousseau and the, the broader Enlightenment tradition that the, uh, the idea of the noble savage and that, you know, goodness is found in man and you know, yeah. evil is found in, you know, in, you know, technology or in, uh, yes. you know, the family or in this uh, present Western regime structure yeah. rather than... As I've heard you say before, uh, Joe, the this line of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, uh, obedience, disobedience, right and wrong, good yeah. and evil, however you want to uh, cast those binaries, mm. runs straight through the middle of the human heart. Yeah. Yes, the attempt to flee from one domain of creation into another in order to you know find safety or salvation. 
and that really comes to the fore in the in the in the modern humanistic motive very quickly as we touch on the the, the next one so that so there was those the first though we've had the first two mm-hmm. um uh, you know we may have to 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 explore these um a little bit further in the next episode but uh in the in the next one what you've got in is uh, what Doiver called the nature grace mm-hmm. nature grace and this simply meant that generally speaking the greek view of nature as form and matter was ported over into uh a synthesis with the christian biblical motive of creation fall and redemption so there was an attempt to harmonize the greek view of nature natural law forms reason um and that giving form to the material world with the biblical view of redemption in the lord jesus christ mm-hmm. and you can see that immediately you've got a bit of a problem there mm-hmm. right how do you synthesize uh, views that are that form really a dialectic the greek view of nature is 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 uh brought into some sort of dialectical relationship with the idea of grace um which is about res- restoration and renewal and so on so this was an uncomfortable attempt to in the holy roman empire synthesize uh, the Greek view of nature with a Christian view of grace. And the, perhaps the simplest and quickest way of stating it is that it created a kind of two-story world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the double-decker bus image that we've used before on the program, mm-hmm. where, on the, where, where nature uh, is characterized by natural law, man's reason, um, uh, the uh, ideas and 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 forms um, and ideals and truth, goodness and beauty, and within that lower uh, region of nature, you've got things like the state and the family and human philosophy and so on. Uh, and the the goal of uh, this state now um, is. Uh, to the of the of the of the polis of the of the of of the of the of the human community is to bring people to some kind of natural perfection, some kind of moral perfection within the state. But they cannot reach grace. They cannot reach eternal bliss and eternity without grace, without salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, what sort of took place is there was an attempt to sprinkle the pixie dust of grace and salvation on top of really an Aristotelian, a Greek view of nature, of human society, of the city-state, and so on. And therefore, a hierarchical view uh, um, within um, creation develops. And so you've got the church, which is this ministry of grace up here, and this ministers the sacraments and um, uh, sprinkles the grace of God on the various areas of life. And brings us to eternal bliss but it isn't doesn't go to the root of creation itself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because this it lower de- it devalues creation it, itself. right yeah. it's a lesser and it's a lower realm right. and so you know the 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 the, the popes need to be uh, sprinkling the pixie dust of and i you know i don't mean that in a disrespectful way i'm just trying to give people a picture of what we mean here is that you know um in a certain let's say this well let's throw holy water on the state Mm-hmm. let's throw holy water on the vocations let's throw and the more we can bring them inside of the remit of the church the realm of grace the more nature can be sanctified in some way 
um, and, and brought to its perfection, which was what Aristotle's thought was all about, bringing things in their actual nature to their perfection. Um, and we certainly don't have time to get into structure and direction, but this is the exact opposite. It is the opposite. Yeah. So mm. exactly. So what exactly what happens there is that that structure and direction principle is broken mm. and um, reason a man's analytical thinking is completely good as far as it goes. Mm. Um, but uh, nonetheless, the, even the greatest philosopher needs grace to enter eternal bliss. But the notion that man's own reasoning would be uh, would be affected by his religious apostasy against God or that the sciences or the law or the state or these things would be misdirected uh, uh, simply doesn't register. No, natural law, man's reason, these things are all that's needed in the realm of nature. Mm. Um, and so there's this attempted th synthesis. And then finally, uh, Dover, that brings Dover to the, to the modern era where as this sort of... Um, uh, ecclesiasticization of society began to be broken, especially after the the, the Reformation, um, with the unified, you know, the, the the unified ecclesiastical structure of the medieval world, um, uh, but began to be broken, and then you had the um, uh, the Renaissance, the the Reformation reasserted the biblical ground motive, but then. The Renaissance ideas and ideals brings us to the so-called Enlightenment. Remember, these periods are named by humanists, so mm -hmm. they are saying that you know, no, no modern historian would, would I would I hope dare to say this anymore. Talk about dark ages and so on. But the basic idea was, is that this the the the, the Christian era was an era of, of blindness and ignorance and darkness because people depended on revelation, and when they recovered Greek thought. Where, uh, with the Renaissance and then re-emphasized it at the Enlightenment, you're, you're the lights are turned on. You're enlightened. Mm. And so this brings us to the fourth motive, which Doiver talks about, which is um, uh, nature freedom. Mm. Not nature grace. There's a disconnect now uh, with, the, with the life of the church. Um, it's now nature and freedom. Mm. And this is the assertion of the freedom of the human personality, the autonomy of the human personality, a kind of radical independence and autonomy for human thought. Right. So this would be a rejection of all transcendency. Yes. Right. That yeah. you find the both the arche, the origin, really, and uh, they might pay lip service to some deistic kind of deity, but it's really a principle of reason. And the Archimedean point, the point at which the, 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 the source of knowledge and truth is found in man and his thinking himself. Mm -hmm. Now, the dialectic here, now notice that the only, the only ground motive that's not dialectical, that's not got opposing poles, is the biblical ground motive, creation for redemption in Jesus Christ. These other motives, form, matter, nature, grace, and now nature, freedom, are dialectical. They're, in, they're opposed to one another. Uh, and what happens is thought in these different, and we might, we might say we're talking now about patterns in history. We're not talking about an exact um, delineation of every kind of thought. We're talking about the overall pattern and structure that we've witnessed in Western thought is that it moves now, swings from one pole, an emphasis on the, the, the freedom, the absolute freedom of the human personality. Think about um, today's social constructionist ideas of self-identification, Think about existentialism, freedom of the human personality. On the other side, uh, nature, on this view, is deterministic. Uh, 
So you've got this dialectic on the one hand, how can you have a mechanical nature? So uh, the idea of, of the Enlightenment was that science and the mathematical ideal of working everything out in terms of the basic principles of science, we discover determinacy. And everything seems determined. I mean, you know, think about a modern exponent of this in, um, in Richard Dawkins, you know, the selfish gene. Hmm. Um, all of man's thought is, uh, and, and life and existence is just a product of scientific, mathematical, scientific laws of determinism. Well, if that's true, what happens to the freedom of the human person? Mm-hmm. So uh, the so-called solution to this is that the autonomy of the human person now will try and show and demonstrate its autonomy by the control and manipulation of nature. And this is where, Ryan, we come actually back to your point with Rousseau and um, uh, social contract theories and actually totalitarian theories in Mm. politics, utopian totalitarian theories, authoritarian totalitarian theories in politics, is that uh, man must now organize his own freedom. Hmm. You must have the total state which will, which will organize the freedom of necessity. So you actually have this ironic combining of both necessity and freedom. Man in his absolute autonomy, the freedom of the human personality, must now use the sciences. Mm-hmm. And by the sciences, I don't just mean the natural sciences. I mean the, the, the theoretical disciplines, politics, economics, sociology, as well as physics and chemistry and biology and so on, to... Um, manipulate reality to organize his own liberation from determinacy. Mm. Right. So man must now organize his own salvation. So this is not just a, a, a new dialectic modifying nature grace. This is an attempt to bring all of the previous uh, modes of thinking together right. mm-hmm. in a new synthesis where now we retain ideas like, which were not there for the Greeks, like fallenness and alienation. Uh, well, we might... Let's not digress there. There was a kind of alienation idea in Plato from the original, but, you know, the idea of the copies from the original. But the idea of, 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 um, of a plan of not, not... History is no longer cyclical in the modern uh, perception. It's linear, which was the Christian idea. Mm-hmm. Although there's patterns in history, we say as Christians, we recognize its linearity, creation through to consummation. Uh, we've retained some of that Christian idea in the in the modern thought of nature and freedom, because now we're going to plan our own eschatological salvation. There's going to be a a realization of salvation through man's planning, through his social scientific planning, and and so different poles of the nature freedom motive have been emphasized at different times: rationalism, irrationalism, romanticism. Uh, on the irrationalist side, existentialism, and you it, you see this movement between the two the two poles, mm. and so Doyverd says in some these are uh, the the these ground motives have been the atmosphere the zeitgeist of these ages form matter, then an attempted synthesis of form matter into nature grace, and and nature grace into nature and freedom. But right there at the at the at the outset in Western thought was introduced creation for redemption hmm. as a different ground motive, um, as a different foundation for a religious worldview. Remember um, that has radically different consequences for human thought, and reformational thought makes the fairly radical claim 
that it is wrestling itself free from the uh, and shaking finally free from gr- the the Greek pagan religious motive to try and shuffle off this dualism, shake it off for a, a for a a purified reformed reformational biblical motive creation fall redemption thanks joe well we certainly enjoy these conversations around the uh, ezra institute we hope our listeners do they may have to listen to that one again yeah like grant (laughs) (laughs) it's okay re-listening is free (laughs) that's right joe is there maybe a resource uh, our listeners could pick up to go over some of these concepts yeah. Now, uh, how available um, uh, some of these uh, some of these titles always are is is difficult to predict. But um, if you want to read Doiverd himself, mm. um, a good starting point is in the Twilight of Western Thought, right. where and Doi- that's uh, that's Paideia Press. Paideia we Press. Can, uh, that's pretty pretty mm. easy to find. You can get that it's, easily. It's, it's and pretty, I'll put a I'll put a link out. Right. It, it's still quite technical, but it's more of an overview of Doiverd's thought. Yeah. It's an it's an overview. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't get you away from the technical language, right. but um, but it is a it is a, a, a more approachable overview for those who've got some background in worldview and philosophy. Mm, uh, for those who might be interested in getting a sort of uh, sort of big picture look at uh, this reformational view, um, there was a, a reasonable attempt um, made at it in English. It's called Contours of a Christian Philosophy by Kalsbeek, K A L. K-A-L-S-B-E-E-K, an introduction to Hermann Doiverd's thought. And um, he does make some mistakes, um, but not many. And uh, it's Mm. it's a good sort of basic, readable, um, uh, it's a reasonable place to start. Uh, You know, uh, Danny Strauss, our our fellow for Reformational Philosophy, might not be so um, uh, keen on on this one because he's... uh, uh, so refined this perspective over the years, but this this nonetheless will help people get to grips right. with some of these basic, some of these basic ideas. Right. And certainly, we're going to refer back to these religious motives. We will over and over in future podcasts. I think it'd be great to pick up the humanistic nature freedom motive uh, sometime in the near future as yes. well, because there's so much application with what we're going through with COVID. Well, maybe in our next episode, why don't we do that? Why don't we focus on the nature freedom motive yeah. and um, and some of those um, aspects? And then following that, we can go back to the nature grace and look yeah. at Thomism in a bit more detail before we get back to our, our modal functions. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure people are waiting in bated breath. <laughs> oh yeah, to get well. back to 15 modal aspects. Do you think, Ryan? There, well, there's there's a curriculum here. We don't we don't right. want to uh, jump the gun. That's right. right. <laughs> exactly. We're just giving you a taste. That's all. <laughs> well, somebody should really uh, write a book introducing reformational philosophy. It's on its way, Ryan. <laughs> it's on its way. Good plug there, Ryan. <laughs> think Christianly. It's on great. its way. It's going to be a while, but it uh, it, it will come. Great. Well, that's all the time we have for our conversation today. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute, reminding you that from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory.